0: Welcome to Financial Modeler's Corner, where we discuss the art and science of financial modeling with your host, Paul Barnhurst. Financial Modeler's Corner is sponsored by Financial Modeling Institute. Welcome to Financial Modeler's Corner. I am your host, Paul Barnhurst. This is a brand new podcast where we will talk all about the art and science of financial modeling with distinguished financial modelers from around the globe. The Financial Modelers Corner podcast is brought to you by Financial Modeling Institute. FMI offers the most respected accreditations in financial modeling. I am excited to welcome our guest on the show today, Heidi A. Kinefard. Welcome to Financial Modelers Corner.
1: Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Very happy to be here, and I am a huge fan of you, and you know that.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that, Heidi. We're really excited to chat with you here for a few minutes. So we want to start off with, this is one of my favorite questions. Tell me about the worst financial model you've seen in your career.
1: Paul, I mean, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: You know, I uh, when I started building models, you know, in the early ni- 90s and reviewing financial models, you know, I saw a lot of like bad models at that time because there were no structures, you know, the standards were not there. And, you know, it was like, I always say it was like the 60s hippie time of financial models when, you know, everybody was doing whatever they wanted to do and all that. So at that time, you know, of course, you know, I saw many bad models, but I always say, you know, when I uh, when I open a financial model for the first time, I I have this sensation, you know, when I had when I was opening. Uh, you, do you remember this Kinder Surprise? You know, the chocolate egg.
0: Yeah, I know what you're talking about. My my daughter loves them.
1: Yeah. So you know, I used to love them as well when I was a kid. So when you open them, you know, sometimes you you have these, you know, simple figurines that, you know, is just like too simple. And sometimes they are so complicated that you need some engineering background to put it all together. And sometimes, you know, it's a nice one. There is a balance between simplicity and complexity, you know, so that's the right balance. And I see financial models the same thing. There are some models that are overly simplified and those are easy to deal with. You know, you say, okay, it's oversimplified. We have to rebuild it from scratch. But, you know, when you deal with a very complex financial model that people they have spent a lot of time and money into it and you come and you want to tell them that uh, this model we cannot work with it going forward because it's too complex and all that and we need to rebuild it from scratch because it's too complex basically and that is very difficult to kind of tell people that whatever you spend in terms of time and money was sunk cost and we have to rebuild it from scratch so for me these were you know these complex black box models or the examples of bad models
0: I would agree with you. The black box ones are the most difficult one, getting people sometimes to change them because they put so much time into them Two untangling them. We've all inherited that model where you're like, where do I start? And usually you want to start by putting it in the wastebasket and just starting fresh, but you have to figure out what it does first. So I can, I can relate to that. You know, dealing with those black box models, what would you say is kind of the key learning experience from that? What has it taught you?
1: I mean, first of all, Paul, I think when we talk about complexity, I mean, it's a kind of like a very um, delicate subject because complexity also depends. Like I have built models that people, they accuse me of being overly complex, you know, and the reason why, because the project was complex, you know, the transaction was complex. But sometimes like you're dealing with a project that should not be, you know, the financial model should not be that complex. Like, uh, you know, I, I have a good friend and a mentor, Professor Edward Botmer, and uh, he was telling me one day that the, the most complicated thing about a solar project is the financial model. He's right. You know, sometimes we, you know, it's all a project that technology is easy, you know, but sometimes we see, you know, models that are overly complicated. And, uh, and yeah, so I think uh, these, these models, as I told you, sometimes we can justify, you know, to the level that you can justify them, you can, but as soon as you can tell that this financial model cannot be used going forward, the sooner, the better, because I have, dealt with the projects, which they came up to financial close, honestly, up to financial close, it was even audited. And then, you know, everybody, you know, around the table, they said, we cannot work with this one, you know? So lenders, you know, at one point they said, we're going to build our own version of the financial model, sponsors, so two auditors involved. So it made everything so complex. So if somebody had the courage, you know, in the beginning to say, guys, this is too complex or this is, does not match the criteria, it would have saved so much time for everyone. And project caused there was delay in financial close because of that, you know, and that cost a lot of money to the project as well.
0: Yeah. no, Nobody wins in that situation. It's because somebody didn't speak up and say, look, this is too complicated. We got to step back and rethink what we're doing here.
1: Correct. Yes, exactly. And this requires what I call a long-term view. You know, when you're building a financial model, that's why, you know, having, it's very important for organization to think about how they want to handle their financial modeling services, you know, because if you hire a financial modeler and, you know, to build the model for you for two weeks, and then, you know, then you're going to work with that model, then that consultant may not have this long-term view on what's going to happen to this financial model because you have a model during feasibility stage and then you have uh, another model, hopefully, you know, a kind of restructured version of that same model that can take you through construction and then one through operation. So if you have the financial model throughout this you know, process with you, it can just, you know, have this long-term view and have a model that can transition easily between these different
0: phases. That makes sense to me. Can you give us just a little bit about your background and yourself? We've talked a little bit about the horror story. Now let's learn a little bit about you and how you got into modeling and what you're doing today. It depends how far you want to go.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I uh, you know I studied economics, so I was really interested in, you know, like development, you know, economic development, because I was uh, born in Iran and I was raised between Iran and France, So I kind of witnessed, you know, these differences between developing and developed countries. And uh, I couldn't see any differences in humans. You know, humans are the same. So what was different between them was the infrastructure. I was also, you know, because I had my interest in development and development economics, I uh, kind of got interested into this field of project appraisal, you know, which is just basically how to filter projects, how to appraise projects. And basically one biggest part of it is financial modeling. So uh, that really interests me. And uh, I I really believe that development is just, you know, uh, and there was a professor that I worked with for years, and it was my PhD supervisor as well, Professor Glenn Jenkins, who said that, you know, development is nothing but a series of good projects to be implemented and preventing bad projects from happening. And to me that's such a big thing and you know that's basically what the job of a financial modeller is, you know, is if the person is involved in the selection process, which is another kind of, you know, work if when you filter project, you know, the process of filtering project requires a different set of financial modelling skills. And then, you know, if you're working, you know, as a financial model for also one transaction, you can design the project in a way, you know, help the project to be designed and planned in a way that doesn't cause, you know, cost overruns. So all these kinds of things, it has this kind of development impact, you know, because we are dealing with projects and infrastructure, and eventually it's, uh, it's an asset that will be helping with the development of a project. So that was the whole thing that brought me to financial modeling. Then I worked, I started actually as a trainer. I was teaching investment appraisal then my first assignment as a financial modeler was with the African Development Bank. That's where I spent, you know, a couple of years as a consultant um, working for the, the private sector department of the African Development Bank. And that was a great experience. You know, I got exposed to a number of infrastructure projects in Africa, mega projects, and I had the privilege to work
0: on those projects. Great. Thank you for sharing the background. And I really there's one thing in there that I really like that you said is that idea that, you know, the difference between developing and developed nations is those projects and making sure you do ones that are good projects to have a positive ROI to society, to the country, to everybody versus the bad projects. And as finance people, it's our job to help make sure that the good projects get approved. I really like the way you explain that. So thank you. So you run the website Mod. Can you talk a little bit about the website and what kind of information it contains? Tell our audience a little bit about it.
1: So it's basically, you know, my... uh blog posts, you know, because I kind of from time to time release blog posts, you know, about the topics that I come across in my day-to-day job. Like if I am working on a project and we are kind of discussing the major maintenance, you know, reserve account, and I see some challenges there that I want to share. So I just, you know, put it in a blog post and sometimes I also share templates. It's just to create, you know, just discussions around these subjects that interest me. So that's how the, I put together Phoenix Mode. And I'm also providing trainings in financial
0: modeling. Got it. Next question I want to ask is you've written a book, Financial Modeling Detective Book. Talk a little bit about that and you know, kind of the goals of the book. What is, what is the purpose of the book?
1: When I was working at the African Development Bank, my job was really to review uh, financial models, right? So we were receiving financial models and we had to decide whether we want to work with those models or we want to rebuild them from scratch. So after, you know, reviewing models, you know, from, from uh, you know, after a while, I came up with a checklist for myself. You know, the things that I was checking all the time across all models. So I, I kind of expanded that checklist and made it into a book, uh, which I called Financial Model Detective. And it's just, you know, to give you some clues about what are the key points that you need to look at when you're reviewing someone else's financial model. And uh, the idea behind it, you know, the financial model detective is, I believe, you know, in the role of a financial modeler as really a detective. But I always clarify what I mean by a detective. The type of detective that I mean is like Hercule Poirot, you know, the character uh, mm-hmm. from Agatha Christie, you know, that kind of gentleman like, you know, curious, attentive, you know, you are not accusing. Because I sometimes see, you know, in the question and answer regarding financial models, people, they just, you know, kind of without, you know, accusing, you know, the why did you do that without even asking why. Why did you do it this way? You know, there might be an explanation behind it. So that kind of mentality that I talk about, that you have to be open-minded and you have to be curious and you have to, yeah. So that's my definition of a financial model detective.
0: I like that. And, you know, the Agatha Christie, my wife uh, loves that show. So I can relate to that. That's a a good one to mention. You know, one other things around that. So I know the book is to help people audit models. Tell our audience, why is it so important to have somebody that can audit a financial model? Why is that critical to the process?
1: All financial models will be eventually audited, right? You know, in like transactions, do you? It will be audited by auditing firms. I mean, I always say that you should not treat a financial model as just another document in the checklist. Some organizations, you know, some they just have a financial model just to get the loan document. And that's not the attitude, you know. The attitude that should be there is that you need to use whoever, you know, whoever you represent, whether you represent the lenders or the sponsors or any government entities The mentality should be that you should use this tool for your own decision makings, right? So first thing that you want to do is not to just pass, you know, some of the checklists and some of the metrics that are required. So you have to just see that, okay, so I have this tool, which contains all these inputs and it can basically give me an idea about, you know, what my future is going to look like, you know? So I always say that the financial modeler is like a fortune teller, especially in project finance transactions, because (laughs) the only thing you have is projections, right? So you can even have a fortune teller and you tell the fortune teller that don't tell me any bad news. I just want to hear good news. The financial modeler would just, you know, crunch numbers and give you what you want, right? But if you have a financial modeler who can tell you that, okay, see, this is the reality of the base case that, you know, we have come up with together with the technical advisor, fiscal advisor, legal advisor, and all the documents, this is your reality. However, if things go sideways, this is going to be your reality. Are you ready to take the risk? You see, so that's the person that you need to have next to you as a financial modeler.
0: I like that. I like you talk about having that person that can tell it like it is, so to speak, and help you understand that risk. Because, right, you mentioned we're fortune tellers. And as I always like to say, no model is right. I think it was George Bach who said, all models are wrong. Some are useful. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. And that's really the goal, right? We want the model to be useful to hopefully be a reasonable approximation of what will happen. Because none of us know, and there will always be surprises, but making good assumptions and working with the right people can reduce the risk, as you said. And that's really the goal is we're trying to reduce the risk on a project and also select the good projects.
1: Exactly. Because remember, I mean, most of the parties involved in the project, you know, sponsors, lenders, all of them, these are people who want to get to the finish line, right? That's their aim. That's their goal. And and we need these people. I mean, without these people, you know, the projects cannot go move forward. However... You know, these people like financial modelers, technical advisors, all of them are there to kind of slow down the process, you know, just say, guys, let's look at this. Let's slow down. Let's look at things very carefully, do some sensitivity analysis and then put the measures together in case things go wrong. Right. And we have seen in, in the past that most of the time things go wrong. So putting the right facilities, contingent facilities, and all that, and putting it in a financial model and make, make things ready for this difficult phase, which is construction.
0: Yeah. At the end of the day, they want to get the asset into operation and start generating the, the cash flow from the project as soon as possible. But you know, like you said, we do slow them down because we're uh, helping to bring that balance and making sure that the risk profile and the project makes sense. It's a give and take for sure. So one thing I noticed that, and I'd seen this on LinkedIn, I think for the first time a couple years ago, if I remember right, but you created a list of what you called the financial modeling 10 commandments and you shared that on LinkedIn. Can you talk a little bit about how you came up with those? How did that come about?
1: When I started with the building models, you know, there were no standards and little by little standards were introduced. And I was so happy and glad, you know, I was just enjoying those times a lot, you know, smart standards, fast standards. And I was just very glad that, you know, these were kind of established in the market. But then, you know, I saw that people are kind of becoming a little bit too much into them and becoming like, you know, a religion and all that. So I was just like, I said to myself, let me just come up with what I think is my religion because there are so many religions now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so let me come up with my religion and my set of rules. So that was just the fun thing that I wanted to put together.
0: I like it. And a religion is a good example. You get people who are so set on, you have to do it this specific way. And this is right. You guys are all wrong or... You know, you see that versus some, they're like, look, there's some general principles, follow them, let me give you some guidance, and you don't have to religiously follow every single little item. And so I like that. From the rules as I was looking at them, there's two in particular that kind of stuck out to me that I'd like to ask you a little bit more about. So the first one was number nine, thou shalt avoid circular references. What's the reasoning behind that? Why do you say people should avoid that?
1: Well, uh, that was my fight. You know, all these years, I have a <laughs> war against circular reference. You know, I call the movement a war against
0: circular <laughs> reference. I'll join your movement for yes, what it's
1: worth. I mean, uh, even Excel tells you that something is wrong when you have circular reference in your financial model, you know, in your Excel spreadsheet, Excel tells you that something is wrong. Check for the circular reference. And yes, so, I mean, it makes the model unstable. And uh, if you're just using the spreadsheet for yourself and you're the only one using it, maybe. Honestly, I mean, it's a cancer. There needs to be a remedy for it. And there are remedies out there and there are, and we need to, not think about the problem because circular reference to me there is a problem. So we need to think about the solutions. So we have some solutions for it. Now we need to come up with a better solution for it, you know, and that's what I'm working on together with uh, Professor Edward Botmer. I mean, we are specifically working on uh, circular reference in project finance uh, models. You know, I mean, he has done a lot of work, years of work on it, and I had the privilege to work alongside with him for a couple of years now. And so, yeah, I'm more interested in the solutions to circular reference rather than the problem. I, I recognize it as a problem and I want to focus on the solutions.
0: I love that you're not just beating the drum of, hey, we have a problem. You're working on those solutions. And for what it's worth, I'll join your war. Just so you know, I'll, I'll be part of that. I think uh, as a general rule, circular references should be avoided. I uh, I think everybody I've talked to so far that's been on the show would agree with you on that one. So that's a pretty common pretty common opinion. Number 10, I like this one. So I was going to ask you to elaborate on this one. Thou shalt not be selfish. What do you mean by that when you say the modeler, you know, one of the rules of modeling is you shouldn't be selfish.
1: You know, I always say, you know, these um, financial modeling standards that we talk about flexibility, transparency, simplicity, and all that. I always say, if you Want a financial model to be transparent, you need to first understand transparency yourself. You know, if you want your financial model to be structured, you need to have some level of structure yourself. So it's, you know, I really believe in that. And I believe, you know, as a financial modeler, you should not be selfish because you need to put yourself you know, instead of the user of the financial model, who are the users So identify who are the users of this tool that you are building and what will be their needs going forward. So it it requires a lot of, you know, thinking and a lot of like putting yourself instead of others, kind of coming up with the future scenarios of what's going to happen, what is the level of flexibility that I need to build into this model and, you know, look forward for the needs, you know, to make the process easier for all these stakeholders that are involved in the process and make the decision making easier by providing this flexible and simple tool, which is the financial model.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. And that that makes sense to me. I can see what you mean there. I particularly like the part where you said, put yourself in the uh, end user's shoes. Now, think about what they need, because it's easy sometimes for us to write a complex formula that maybe is not needed or somebody isn't going to understand, but it's easy for us. When you are thinking about that end user, you're more likely to do what's going to benefit the whole group than maybe what's easiest for you. So that's a good point. I really like that. In today's business world, financial modeling skills are more important than ever. With Financial Modeling Institute's Advanced Financial Modeler Accreditation Program, you can become recognized as an expert in the field by validating your financial modeling skills. Join the Financial Modeling Institute's community of top financial modelers, gain access to extensive learning resources, and attain the prestigious Advanced Financial Modeler Accreditation. Visit www.fminstitute.com backslash podcast and use code FMC15 to save 15% when you register. So next question, as I was looking at your website, there was a blog article that caught my eye that I'd like to ask you about. It was titled The Decision Maker's Mindset reporting insights from a financial modeler. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what was the impetus for writing that article? What made you decide to write that?
1: The last couple of years, I wrote a lot of materials on my blog post about the role of a financial modeler in a transaction. When I started my career as a financial modeler, everybody told me that, you know, this is going to be a stepping stone into a higher position, you know. And when I uh, started working in deals as a financial modeler, I I saw, you know, the importance of this tool, which is the financial modeler model and the financial modeler's role in a transaction. I really saw, you know, I was working on a transaction, which was the um, bridge in uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Abidjan, and uh, the person that was running the negotiation. I was, you know, representing the African Development Bank and the from the sponsor side, the person that was running the negotiation was actually the person who has built the financial model. So he had session with me on the financial model in the morning. And then later in the evening, we had like negotiation with, among all the lenders, you know, So I saw the power of that. You know, I saw how this person could negotiate. He had, of course, communication skills, you know, coupling the communication skills and negotiation skills together with financial modeling skills. This was a winner. You know, it was a winner. When I went to transactions and negotiations, I saw that sometimes financial modelers are regarded as like a junior position. So the person is like a number cruncher or something like that these labels or sometimes spreadsheet engineers or financial i call the financial model mechanic so i wanted to break that by because i saw the problem i saw the issue and so many people were calling me and complaining about oh this is how they are i'm being treated you know in the workplace as a financial modeler and i always say the problem also comes from From us, you know, financial modelers, because we have to assume the role that you cannot be what I call a problem solver. If you want to be a financial modeler who can negotiate contract, who can be involved in the decision making process, you cannot just have problem solving skills. You know, you should be a solution provider. You know what I mean? And there is a difference between the two, because when you come with the problem to someone and you ask, you know, for a solution, most probably you already have a solution. So you go to the financial modeler, you say, this is my problem. And most probably this is the solution. So if you take the problem and just provide that solution, you you are a problem solver. If you take the problem and also analyze the solution that was suggested and come up with the multiples also solutions for that same problem, then you are a financial modeler who can negotiate contract, who can be taken seriously for decision making. So that was also what I wanted to promote in that blog post by saying that you need to understand the decision maker mindset so that you can provide the right you know, tool to them for the, for the decision making.
0: It allows you as the modeler to be much more involved and to provide advice that if you're just building the model and don't have that mindset, you're not able to do if I'm hearing it right. So it really opens up the opportunity to be more involved and play a more critical role than, as you said, just being the model mechanic or the spreadsheet junkie or whatever term you want to use.
1: I mean, I mean, it's just like, you know, if you are building a financial model, you need to be involved in each and every phase of the project. You cannot sit in an office and get an email and say, add uh, another debt term in the model. You need to have the background story. Why do I need to add this additional tranche? Who is the lender? What are the terms of the debt? What, ha- what have you negotiated already? What are the points that are under discussion right now? So having all this information requires you to be involved, you know, with in all the phases of the project. So, so yes, so I think that you cannot isolate the financial model from transaction. You need to have them next to you, you know, in all negotiation, in all discussions. Technical, legal, you know, all of them.
0: <laughs> Makes sense. So, if somebody is out there listening to this podcast and they're asking themselves, how do I develop that decision making mindset? Like, I'm a good modeler. I know how to build models. What advice would you offer them? What's the best way to kind of develop that mindset and become more focused on being a decision making financial modeler instead of just a modeler, so to speak?
1: I think this will, of course, come with experience, but uh I mean, just to, you know, be creative, first of all, you know, some of so many times we think that, you know, there is only one solution to a problem, you know, and especially we believe, you know, there's people because managers, directors, there are people who have certain kind of charisma and certain kind of, you know, position that, you know, you want to listen to them and you want to believe them, of course, their view and their vision. So as as a financial modeler, as an advisor, you should always consider their position and understand their position and come and test it, you know. So you need to have this understanding and knowledge of what is happening so that you can tell them no, You know, because sometimes you have to have. You cannot. I always say that you cannot be a people pleaser if you want to be a financial modeller. You have to have the courage to say no. Listen, what's what you are doing here? You know, it's not working. So maybe we need to go back to the negotiation table and you know do something about it. So you have to have this confidence to help these people. You know, to make better decision and you have to equip yourself with soft skills communication skills you know self-confidence and all that which are needed you know in all kind of roles of course but also for financial modelers as well
0: it's amazing how often it comes back to those soft skills you know, going beyond the technical skills and definitely with all the change we're seeing in the world I think the soft skills are going to become even more important in the future you know how are you bringing that strategic value? appreciate that answer. So next question, I know you've worked on a lot, a number of large infrastructure projects. So can you talk to our audience about what the typical process is for an infrastructure project? What is that like?
1: Uh, I mainly work on project finance transaction. I done, you know, a couple of, you know, corporate transactions as well, but it was mainly project finance and renewable. So that's uh, something that interests me. You know, I mean, it depends on at which stage of the project you are getting into this you know, transaction. I mean, if you are at the feasibility stage, it's just, you know, the honeymoon stage, you know, everything is working, champagnes and all that, you know, celebrations of closing the deal and all these things. So that feasibility stage is uh, the, when you are at that stage, you know, you are you have, you know, the, the world is open. You define a base case and a worst case and everything. When you are in the construction phase, then that's when you suffer a little bit, right? <laughs> Everybody is suffering. You know, things are coming, delay, cost overruns and liquidated damages and all that. So as a financial modeler, this stage is very difficult, especially if you're dealing with a bad model, you know? So that's just, you know, restructuring a deal. Applying this restructuring in the financial model as well. So this makes everything complicated. And then if you're entering into operation, then most of the time you need to completely, you know, restructure the model, you know, come up with a new model as well, which can uh, answer the questions that are required post-operation. So, yeah, it's, it's a whole journey.
0: No, it sure is. I haven't done much in the way of project finance. I've worked on a couple M&A deals. And yeah, rarely does the model you use for the deal work for operations. You know, you usually have to rebuild it or make substantial changes to make it work because they're just designed for different purposes.
1: Right. That was my aim, you know, to kind of make this transition much smoother pre-feasibility, you know, a feasibility model when you take it to construction, at least with the minimum effort of adding one or two sheets and, you know, you know, a couple of links, you can just make the transition much smoother. So hopefully we can come up with something also for operations so that we cannot we don't have to rebuild it from scratch.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it's getting better and I'm sure you'll figure something out there. It can be a little bit of a challenge. But yeah, anytime we can keep from having to rebuild from scratch, it definitely makes it easier. So this next section, this is uh, one of my favorite sections we do. It's called rapid fire questions. So what I got is I got about eight questions here. You get no more than 15 seconds for each question and you can't give me an it depends because on almost all of them, you could say it depends. You have to give me a yes or no. And then when we're done, I'll let you pick one that you want to elaborate on, why you gave the answer you did. Okay, let's go. If you're ready here, we'll go with the first one. And this one, we already know the answer because we talked a little bit about it earlier. Circular or no circular references? No. (laughs) Yeah, I figured as much. VBA or no VBA? Definitely VBA. Horizontal or vertical model? I want to say depends. (laughs) (laughs) You had to pick.
1: Okay, I would say
0: uh, vertical. All right. Dynamic arrays, yes or no? I would say no. Okay. Named ranges versus no named ranges.
1: Can I say with moderation?
0: <laughs> yes, with moderation. <laughs> no, I, I, I like it. We'll give you that one. That's not an it depends. You at least took a position. Should we follow formal standards for modeling, like board standards, you know, fast and smart and all those? Yes or no? Yes. And what is your lookup function of choice? VLOOKUP, index match, XLOOKUP, choose.
1: Can I come with another one?
0: You can. You wouldn't be the first. (laughs) I wasn't going to list all of them. I'd be there a while.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, there is one that I use, which is um, a user-defined function by Professor Edward Bodmer. It's an interpolate lookup. So you know when you have like a couple of data points like a couple of years 20 you know five data points and you want to come up with a time series based on that you just use this interpolate lookup function which is going to take those five data points and you know interpolate you know a linear line for you for your time series i really like that one
0: i could see why you really like that one yeah when i asked uh my last guest this question he goes why well, would i would question if there's only four right <laughs> so so you get, when you get these experts, they always have a different idea. I like it, it's good, I learn. So I might have to, we'll have to put that in the uh, show notes. That's an interesting one, let people know about that. So I'd love to learn a little more on that. And the rapid fire, is there one you'd like to elaborate on? Any of those that you answered that you would like to say why you answered the way you did? Is there a particular one that you'd like to elaborate on?
1: BBA, I was, uh, yeah, I was even uh, kind of uh, puzzled why this is a
0: question. I've had a few people that have said no VBA in models. And I think the reasoning tends to be like one said, no VBA outside of formatting. I think their concern is downstream people understanding it, the complexity, sometimes maintaining it. If somebody's doing a lot of coding or programming, I know for me, let's take corporate finance, which is my background, FP&A. You know, I've seen a lot of models with VBA and often what happens is the next person gets them and they don't know any VBA and it breaks and then you have to start over. So I think that's that from my perspective that's where the the concern comes from and I've had a you know a lot of people have different opinions. Oh yeah, I use VBA and others like just don't use it because yeah. of the fact that not everybody understands it. Because right. it's a great tool and if everybody knows it and knows what they're doing, there's definitely a lot of areas you can use it. But that's my thinking. So that's how I think about it. Mhm. Mhm.
1: Because, you know, in the area of project finance, I mean, you cannot do without, you know, VBA. I mean, there is this problem of circular reference and you have to come up with a solution. And the only solution is VBA. So that's, and it's another language that, you know, it's another tool, it's another engine, you know, that can add a lot of flexibility to your model. Like, you know, a tool that's interpolate lookup function, which is a very simple, you know, user-defined function that you add it. To your VBA. And honestly, you don't need to be, you don't need to know VBA in order to be, you you should be, we are all used. I am a user of VBA. I don't understand VBA a lot. You know, I can read, you know, I can just, but I cannot write a code from A to Z myself. But I take codes from here and there and I just modify it if needed.
0: That's kind of where I'm at with VBA. I can modify a few things, but I'm not by any means a coder. It's more I see something. I can go find something on the internet if I really need to use it. I've always kind of steered away from VBA because it just doesn't come natural to me. But I mean, I've seen amazing things done with it. So that's a little bit of the thinking there. When did you realize that you could make a career out of modeling, that it wasn't just a stepping stone like everybody had taught you? When was that moment that you said, oh, I can turn... Financial modeling into my career versus it being a stepping stone, so to speak
1: uh, because uh, i as I told you, I started you know my career as a trainer in investment appraisal and risk analysis, and then I started working as a consultant for the African development Bank, so that's how I started my career and uh so that was a. I saw, you know, that there is a career because we were a group of uh, consultants. And at the time, I was at the African Development Bank. The person that was running the uh, private sector was a Canadian gentleman by the name of Tim Turner, and uh, he really understood, you know, the importance of appraisal. So he had this team of consultants. You know, it was the on the ninth floor of the headquarters. It was his office, and next to him was this group of consultants, which I was one of them and we were the one, you know, doing the appraisal and he was, you know, really, you know, very much into understanding, you know, projects. It was not for him just to get the board approval. He really wanted to understand things. So when I saw that, you know, I started with that mentality of this work is important. So that's why... When I saw that some people are not putting that much importance, I was surprised, you see? So that's why I I, I just, uh, I wanted to make it, you know, like with my blog post and the content that I publish. I always talk about that, you know, if you have this passion of financial modeling, you can really make a career out of it.
0: That's great that you share that with others and help others realize that, look, it can be a career. It can be a very rewarding career. I'm sure you uh, have been parts of projects you're really proud of, you know, especially working in infrastructure and renewables. And those are important things. They're things we all need. And those projects can make a big difference for those communities. So appreciate you sharing that. As we close out here, the interview today, if our audience wants to learn more about you or get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that?
1: They can learn more about me from my website, uh, phoenixmode.com. And uh, of course, they can connect with me through LinkedIn as well. And I will be happy to you know connect with anyone or help in any way that I can.
0: So LinkedIn and your website, phoenixmod.com is the best way to connect with you. Exactly. Heidi, thanks for taking the time today. I've really enjoyed getting to chat with you and I know our audience will enjoy hearing this as well. So thank you for uh, carving out some time on an evening to chat with me. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Paul. I really enjoyed the conversation and honestly, congratulations for this uh, podcast and uh, looking forward to follow, you know, the following episodes of other interesting people that you will invite in your podcast.
0: What a great interview. I really enjoyed talking to Heidi, and I liked to had her first project finance person, you know, first female on the show, and just a rock star in the field. So that was great to have her. And there are a couple of things that really stuck out to me that I just want to briefly talk about as we wrap up this section. First, the idea that modeling is a great career. It's more than a stepping stone. I think it's really important for people to realize that when they go into modeling, that, you know, they can build a whole career out of it. The second thing I like, she said, as modelers, we have a responsibility to reject bad projects and help ensure good projects are accepted. And I love that idea because that goes beyond just, hey, building the model. We need to help be decision makers and help improve the process. As she said, when she talked about growing up and her experience in studying economics, you know, she'd grown up in France and Iran and noticed what the difference was between developing and developed countries. And what she said is, look, humans are the same. Humans aren't really very different from one country to another, but the infrastructure is different. And if we can help make sure good projects are accepted, we can help with that infrastructure. So they're the first two things. It can be a career and the responsibility we have to ensure good projects are approved. The last one that I really enjoyed from her in the interview that I want to talk about, there were more than three, but the last one was, I love her reason for developing the Ten Commandments, right? She did it because people were treating standards as a religion. So like, I want to come up with my own religion. It was just everybody's kind of arguing over what should it be. So she's like, what's important to me and how can I make it simple? And that reminds me of Oz, who talked about, you know, Excel isn't a, re- a religion. Anyone who's Oz, the soul on uh, LinkedIn, he talks about that a lot when people start arguing about X lookup and VLOOKUP and index match. You know, same idea here. People argue circular references, no circular references, VBA, no VBA. At the end of the day, there are design principles and general standards we should follow. And I love that she did the Ten Commandments and said, hey, here's my rules. Here's what I've learned. Here are the important things. Outside of that, go ahead and build the model and do what you need to. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. And I know I really enjoyed having her on the show. As we wrap up here, I just want to give you a reminder that you can earn CPE credit for this podcast by going to earmarkcpe.com, downloading the app, and answering a few simple questions. If you enjoyed this episode, I also ask that you share the podcast with your friends. You go ahead and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And last, please leave a rating, a review, a comment. Those really help us. And I really appreciate getting the feedback from you. So thanks again for joining us for this episode. And we look forward to you on many more episodes. So thank you. Financial Modeler's Corner was brought to you by Financial Modeling Institute. Visit FMI at www.fminstitute.com backslash podcast and use code FMC15 to save 15% when you enroll in one of their accreditations today.